So when Joel and I watch movies, um, we always look for the moment in the movie where the title becomes blazingly obvious. Anyone else do this? You look for that. All right, you look for that moment in the movie. So for example, when you're watching a movie and people get trapped on a bus and they have to keep the gas pedal down super fast in order to make sure the bomb isn't detonated, you realize the name of that movie is? Yes, speed, because you have to go fast, okay? Or when the same plot happens again with a different group of people, but this time on a cruise liner, you understand why they call that movie Speed 2. It's that aha moment when everything comes together, when that whole thing just, you have a a moment where common meets sense, and you have this aha experience that you just know exactly what everything is supposed to be. And so today I want to center around a passage in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. And and I am believing that this passage will find for us an aha moment. I believe that as we go through this passage and we see what God is telling us, that it will become very clear to each of you why we chose to call this series Increase. That it will become very clear to you what Jesus is trying to tell us about generosity. In fact, this whole week, I prayed that you would have an aha moment this morning. That there would be a moment in time where you realize the reason why God says to give. And so that's what we're going to do today as we walk through this passage. So would you follow along on the screen as I read this to you? And you can look for the movie title if you want. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever." Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So in this passage, Paul is actually speaking um, to a community of people who uh, they have just had a famine And they needed money for the victims of the famine in Judea. And so all the churches under Paul's care are asked to give something toward the cause. And that that is the context of this passage. And he is reminding them what we know about giving. He is reminding them what Jesus taught them about giving when he was here. And I believe just out of verse 6, just out of that first verse, uh, we can pull a ton of principles out, but I picked three principles that we can immediately pull from the passage just from verse 6. So verse 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so the first um, principle that I believe we can pull from this is the principle of identity. And that is this, you reap what you sow. Tell that to the person next to you, would you? Look to the person next to you and tell them, you reap what you sow. Your mama probably told you that at one point in your life. You know, one thing that you will never find is a farmer harvesting wheat when he planted corn. That which is harvested 
is that which is planted. You will not get what you do not plant. Sometimes I think Jesus is so simple with us because we're just simple-minded people. You cannot plant wheat and get corn. That, that is a very simple concept. You reap what you sow. And the principle of identity says that if we sow a life of stinginess and selfishness and materialism, the harvest we experience will be exactly what we have planted. This is sort of an age-old principle. Like I said, your mom probably told you that. Deep down, you probably repeat this to your children often. If you want friends, you have to be a good friend. If you, if you want peace, you have to stop posting drama on Facebook. If you want um, to uh, get, a, get a good job, they're not going to come to your door and tell you about it. You have to go knocking on people's doors. You have to look in the, on, on the website and in the paper. You have to go out and get it. You have to network. You reap what you sow. You, you get what you put into it. And so often this principle we apply to a lot of things in our life, but we forget about generosity. We should not be surprised by the results if we continually make excuses why we cannot give if we continually don't meet the needs that God is showing us and we continually to not tithe or give offerings, the scripture says you will not get what you do not plant. That's all from verse six. You ready for the second thing from verse six? The principle of increase, increase. You reap more than you sow. You reap more than you sow. Everybody say increase. All right, I wanna wake you up today. Now, here's our sermon title. The passage says, he who supplies the seed will provide the increase. And it says that the return is always greater than the initial investment. So farmers plant massive amounts of seed. In fact, one farmer once said, if you're ever going to be cheap, don't be cheap with the seed. Because one bushel of seed invested in the land yields 30 bushels of grain in a good year. I think often we feel that reaping or getting is far greater than sowing, which is giving. But Jesus spoke of the sower in Matthew 13, 23, and he says that when seed falls on good soil, it yields a crop. And if you remember, what he says is the seed brings forth more. The seed brings forth increase. Some experience 100 times, some 60 times, some 30 times more of an increase. And Paul says we will reap according to what we sow. We will get according to what we give. It is not just a horse for a horse. It is not a fair trade. It is more. It is an increase. And when we are generous, he will be generous with us way beyond our imagination. If you remember Ephesians 6 20, it says that God gives us immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. God is generous with us. You know, in God's math system, which is the only math that I like, (laughs) the best way, I got an amen from over here, the best way to increase a sum is to subtract from it. The best way to increase a sum is to subtract from it. You know, most people operate on exactly the opposite principle. We will have more if we give less. But the Bible says you will have more if you give more. It doesn't sound like good mathematics. 10 minus 1 is 9, and 10 minus 0 is 10. I had to look at my notes to make sure I didn't screw that one up. 
But if you want to have 10 instead of 9, then you subtract 0 from the checkbook on the first day of the week. That is common, logical sense to us. But the problem with that math is that it leaves God out of it. When we put God in those equations, he adds when you give it away. I don't really understand it either, but that is God's promise to us. And I believe that God is good on his promise. Does anyone else agree and believe that God is good on his promise? All right, so we will reap more than we sow. That is what he says. When we give, he will give us to give more. All right, third, the principle of interval. So principle of identity, the principle of increase, and the principle of interval. You reap after you sow. You reap after you sow. So no matter what a farmer plants, uh, it, it takes time for the crops to grow and ripen. And when we are sowing and we're not seeing the results as quickly as we want to, we can often get discouraged and lose hope. But God is always good on his promise. God is always good on his promise. And the principle of interval says that sometimes when you give, you have to wait. You have to wait. God does promise that the law of the harvest is in operation, both in our moral lives and in our stewardship lives. So if you are investing and you are sowing the seed, you will reap sometime after you sow, but God will decide how and when, but there will be a harvest. So let's keep moving in this passage, uh, verse 7 and 8. So Paul then goes on and says, okay, so these are all the things that are going to happen if you give, but let me remind you that it has a lot to do with your heart, your motive, your attitude regarding generosity. So let's look in verse 7 and 8. Here's what he says about your heart and your motive. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So Paul addresses the attitude of our heart when giving, and he uses the word cheerful. He uses the word cheerful. Now, it's actually translated from the word hilaros, which really means hilarious or happy or enthusiastic. So Paul says, if you're going to give, give happily, give enthusiastically, give willingly. And I believe that Paul knows the principles that we just talked about. He knows the principles that you reap what you sow, you, you reap more than you sow, and you reap after you sow. He knows those things. And so he says, be happy about giving because God is able to bless you abundantly in all things, having all that you need. Why wouldn't you be enthusiastic to give to a God like that? If you believe what verse 6 says and those things are true, then why wouldn't you be happy giving? Why wouldn't you be enthusiastic in giving? And so verse 6 goes on to says. Um, if you sow uh, sparingly, I'm sorry, backing up a little bit, back to there. Uh, verse 6 refers to sowing sparingly. And to give sparingly is to give from a heart that wants to hold back. And so that's why he says you have to give cheerfully because sometimes there are enough pressures for whatever reason. Maybe it's our own guilt complex or, or someone in, in your life that's telling you you need to give or, or you feel like if you give, God will love you more. But, but the real feeling is our heart, our heart wants to hold back. Our heart doesn't want to give. Our heart is thinking about how much we can keep versus how much we can give. And that's not hilarious giving. That's sowing sparingly. In fact, that's quite the opposite. And I think we can check our hearts with this truth, we can ask this question, are we focusing on what we can give or what we can keep? 
Are we focusing on what we can give and what we, or what we can keep? And if the answer is keep, then you're sowing sparingly. So the opposite, sowing generously, literally means to sow based on the blessing. To give cheerfully and generously means giving from a heart that wants to share things. You know, something has happened in our hearts, and it's the sin nature, that the basic desire is for us to keep. The basic desire is for us to to obtain things, to have possessions. In fact, it's almost like a magnet of our soul where we just want to pull possessions into us. We want to keep them close to us. We want to make sure that we have all that we need and more. And what the scripture is saying is that we have to change the pull of that magnet to turn it around so that the other pull pushes things out toward other people. That we, we stop thinking about the things we can gain and the things that we need and the things that we can keep. And we can begin to, to change it, make, make a 180 and change our hearts that only the Spirit of God can do so that Jesus can push things out of us, push blessings out of us instead of us trying to pull stuff in. Verse 7 uh, says, don't give under compulsion. I love the scriptures. There is no threat. There is no guilt trip in the Bible to encourage people to be givers. So if you're feeling guilty today or threatened or frustrated, even right now as I speak about this topic, that is not from the Spirit of God. That's the enemy trying to get you all frustrated and the church only wants money and this is all they want. That's, that's not from the Spirit of God. Because what the Spirit of God says is there's no guilt in giving There's no guilt in giving. It's about the blessing that he wants to provide for us when we give. I heard a church that did this one time, and I'd like to adopt this policy. But they they announced to the church that if you have given grudgingly in the offering, ask an usher for it back, and we'll dig it out for you. You could take it back home. Because to give either grudgingly or out of necessity is to miss the whole blessing of giving. To give grudgingly or out of necessity is to miss the whole blessing of giving. There is no guilt. There is no threat. There is no guilt trip in the scripture for giving. All it is is saying is that there's a very real promise attached to giving, a promise of blessing and a promise of abundance. And the truth is, we will all have all that we need if we are generous givers. That's the truth. That's what the scripture says. Now, we do have to be careful that our motive isn't just to get what we need. And so if you begin to think, well, I'm going to give so that I make sure I have everything I need, that's, that's not the motive of the heart that Jesus is talking about here either. Our motive shouldn't be I give to get, but our motive should be I give to get so I can give again. I give to get so I can give again. I give to get so I can give again and again and again. And, and we say to Jesus, give me more so I can give more. Give me more so I can give more, not so I can have more, not so I can keep more, but give me more so I can give more. Provide for me in abundance so I can have everything I need and be fully equipped to give it all away. To give it all away. You know, God's purpose in blessing the generous person is that he will abound in every good work, not that he will become rich for selfish purposes. In verse 11, which is a little bit further than we read today, it's even more explicit. It says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
It does not say that your giving will be rewarded so that you can accumulate wealth that you never dreamed of. It says your giving will be rewarded so that you can continue to be generous. So that you can continue to be generous. In fact, God, when you become generous, will show you more needs. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever done that? You gave generously and all of a sudden someone else asked you. And you're going, ugh, I said I'd give once, God. (laughs) But you begin to be generous and God begins to show you more opportunities and more situations for you to give once you start giving. You help a single mom out and all of a sudden you meet another single mom and another one. And you're kind of chuckling at the Lord. But he says the scripture would say be generous on every occasion Every time you can. Because then he will continue to give you more so that you can be more generous. You know, many times the giver will be the key to victory in a spiritual situation. That the giver will break the bondage, will crush the enemy's plans, the release of the flow of the Holy Spirit and blessing into a situation because you gave and you were obedient to God. We don't attach things in the natural oftentimes. We don't attach our giving to uh, uh, other situations in our life that are unrelated, but God sees it all. And he knows that that generous spirit is what allows him to flow and to work. And so when you are generous, he is working in other areas of your life that don't even attach to it. Do you want spiritual victory in your life? Evaluate your generosity. See where it is that God is asking you to give. Jesus, we want you to give us more so we can give you more. We want you to give us more so we can give more. So how do we get there? How do we become cheerful givers who sow generously? How do we change that magnet in our hearts so we we push uh, things out and not try to keep them all the time? How do we think of that all the time? You know, many times um, we kind of go from one extreme to the other. So we'll have... Uh, moments where we're, you know, maybe you go to a church service or you go somewhere and you go home and you think, I'm just going to sell everything and live out of my van. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Joel's to talk me off the ledge often about that. But then the next time you're thinking, I really got to get this retirement saved up if I ever want to, you know, like live, retire and spend time with my family, which is all, those are all good things. You should do things like that. And so you kind of swing. But when you get in your heart, when you get that magnet where you're not trying to, to keep everything all the time, you're trying to push things out, you can strike a balance in your life where you are receiving things from the Lord and then you are giving out as he shows you in timely ways and as it fits. But I believe one of the key truths that we need to have in our heart in order to get the magnet directed in the right way is this. Are you ready? Okay. We need to see God as a giver. We need to see God as a giver. Let's just talk real for one minute. Some of us see God as a taker. And you may not even realize you do until I until I bring this to your attention. But sometimes, when we're living in a world where we feel drained and stepped on and stuck and the joy is sucked out of us all the time because of a coworker or a spouse or a child or a situation that you're in, we project those feelings onto God. And we believe that he is always taking, that he's always demanding, that he's just like everyone else in our world, and we just can't quite live up. And he is a taker. 
And we see God demanding things of us that, that maybe we can't, we, we can't attain. Maybe you lost something or someone that was really important to you. And maybe deep down, you blame God for that. And you know, I can understand why you feel that way. Because it is difficult. It, it, is, it is heartbreaking to lose someone that you love or, or, or to lose something that maybe you've worked for or that, that you've really put a lot of your life into. But the truth of the matter is this. Whatever you feel God took from you, he is the one who gave it to you in the first place. Whatever you feel like God took from you, he is the one who gave it to you in the first place. Because God gives us the seed to sow. Then he gives us the sun and the rain to help it grow. Then he gives us the harvest. Then he rewards us for giving the harvest away. <laughs> he gives it to us all at every stage and at every level. And he looks for ways to reward us when we acknowledge that he is the giver. God has always been the giver. He's always been the supplier. He's always been the helper. Whether we feel like it or not, he is always giving more than taking. He is the fountain. He is the father flowing with every blessing of grace and hope. And when we have a good handle on the character of who God is, when we understand his generosity and when we, when we increase and overflow, we can't help but be givers too. We can't help but be generous just like our father. But your perspective is your choice. And one of the most difficult places to live is between what God has done in the past and what you're hoping God will do in the future. I believe that that place is called the desert. Anyone ever been in a desert? Live in a desert? It's that dry spell. It's that drought. It's, it's that, that moment. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you're specifically there financially and internally you're rolling your eyes at me a little bit. I understand. I'm just the messenger, so. But when we find ourselves in this desert place, when we're standing between what God did and what we're waiting for God to do, our eyes instinctively go to what we don't have and to what seems to be missing. And our focus goes to our frustration instead of his faithfulness. Our focus goes to what's missing, what should be there, what I'm frustrated about, instead of to God's past faithfulness and instead of to God's plan for future faithfulness. You know, in the early 1900s, the famous Mona Lisa painting was stolen and couldn't be found for nearly two years. And uh, the nature of our fleshly humanity just provided us with this insight because for two years, the two years that the Mona Lisa was missing, more people came to see the spot that was empty than the people that visited it before it got stolen. They wanted to go see the empty space on the wall. They wanted to see what was missing and what was lack of. Our, our flesh, our humanity makes us so concerned at times and focused on what we lack. We think about what we don't have and about what we wished we did. 
But it doesn't have to be that way. You have a choice in every season, in every season of drought. You get to choose your perspective. You get to choose what to look at. You get to go visit the place where the Mona Lisa once stood, or you get to go to the place where it was, and you can see it. You get to see what's full and not what's missing. You get to decide if God is a giver or a taker. You get to decide if you will stare at the parched, dry ground, or fix your eyes toward the skies, heavy with blessing, there's always supply in sight if we train our spirits to recognize it. There's always supply in sight if we train our spirits to recognize it. And a season of drought can actually drive you to greater devotion. It can bring you to a place of asking God to do it again. It can bring you to a place where you can say to God, I'm going to plead with you in ways that only you can, but it's a choice, and the choice is yours. And perhaps the first issue that you need to wrestle to the ground today isn't how much you need to pledge or how much you're going to give toward uh, helping a child go to school here, or how much you're going to give toward the capital improvement plan that we're working on today. But the first issue is this. Do you see God as a giver or a taker? Do you see God as a giver or a taker? Because God loves when we give because we are saying, I believe in you and I trust you. Thank you for giving me this and I'm going to just give it back. Because God, I believe you and I trust you. So last week, um, Silvio did an awesome job just asking you to consider investing in this house, in God's house. And if you weren't here, um, he showed some pictures of some different things around this building that we need to um, fix and spruce up. And I don't know, the ceiling might cave in if we don't do it sometime, all of those things. And we have some repairs to do. We have to replace some things. Um, if you missed last week and you want to know more specifically about those things, give the church office a call. Sylvia would love to tell you more about it. He would love to walk you through the specific needs that we, we're targeting right now. Um, and there's a, there's a pledge card in your pew. Uh, if you were, missed last week, I want to just bring this to your attention there. It's um, in your pew. If you want to give an offering or if you want to give... Um, monthly or weekly, or you can customize this if you want to make up a different way that you want to give. Um, this is just for you to be thinking about uh, what God might put on your heart. Or if you just want to give in the offering in the next few minutes, you can mark it facility, and uh, we'll make sure it gets to the right place. But we want to thank you in advance for following God's call to sow generously, to reap generously, to experience the increase that only a good father gives. And I want to encourage you, if God laid it on your heart to give toward the school, that this is a time for you can do that as well. Just mark it school, or you can, uh, like Dennis said, give him a call and we'll tell you more about it. But we're going to take our offering here in a minute just to close up our service. But I want to remind us that, like the scripture talked about, our hearts cheerfully giving and our attitudes will frame the perspective, no matter where we stand, and that God is faithful, God is faithful, and that he promises we reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow, he provides the increase, and we will reap after we sow. And so the ushers are going to come down as they come. Um, would you take out this prayer that you uh, received on your way in? And uh, this is our increased prayer. I want to encourage you to um, 
We're going to pray it here today in a minute together, but I also want to encourage you to put this somewhere. I want to pray it through the week. I want us to really have, uh, our, God uses us to change the magnet in our hearts. So would you pray it throughout this week? We're going to pray it again next Sunday. And we're just going to really use this as our prayer for the month. So if you have it, it's going to be on the screen here together too. But let's pray this out loud together and then we'll take our offering. Lord, I pause to proclaim to you that I know you are the sovereign ruler of the universe. I also know you are aware of all my needs. Provide me with a fresh awareness of blessing from you. I need your help so that I can trust you more. I will take you at your word and commit to obeying the scriptures. Show me how and where you are asking me to give. Keep my life free from the love of money. Teach me to give without the fear of running out of your supply. I wait in anticipation to see what you will do next in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.